Hello, Cecilia, editor of the Science Basement podcast. Hello. It's Halloween, you know. Yes. You know, you like Halloween? I do, I do. What's your worst fear? My worst fear? Yes. Ah. The thing that gives you goosebumps. Well, considering that um, I'm usually ever like a scared cat, in the sense that uh, I even jump if I hear some sounds around. I would say everything, everything <laughs> scares me. <laughs> As a scientist, I thought you were gonna say reviewer number two, but everything is also good. That also works, yes. Okay. <laughs> the science Hello and welcome. You're listening to the Science Basement Podcast, a podcast for people who love all things science. I'm your host, Giuliano. And I'm your co-host, Cecilia. And today we prepared a very spooky episode. We, we can call this our Halloween special. Yes, definitely. Okay, yeah, I love to have our Halloween special. And to honour this wonderful holiday, we will, of course, dive into the science of ghosts. And to do that, we will, of course, interview a real-life ghostbuster. Nah, just kidding. We're not doing that. What we're really doing today is diving into the concept of fear itself. Yes, we are. This is not a joke. And to do that, we will have our personal fear buster. We have today Anya Zimmer, psychologist and PhD candidate in psychology, University of Basel, Switzerland. Hello, Anya. How are you? Hi, I'm good. Do you want to tell us, you know, what's your background and who are you? How would you describe yourself? Yeah, sure. I mean, you introduced me as a psychologist, meaning and a I phobia, studied psychology. And a fear buster. But yeah. And a fear buster. <laughs> I'll add that. Okay. So psychologist, uh, fear buster, and doing a PhD in psychology. I'm at the very end of it, actually. I'm going to finish it next year. And yeah, I mean, you introduced me as a fear buster. So I, yeah, my topic is fear, phobias, and a bit of technology as well. Excellent. We love that combination. I mean, not we, uh, I mean, me and everyone else. I mean, I guess I'm, I don't identify myself as multiple people. We as, I guess, <laughs> and everyone yes, else. Yes, you can involve me in, in this. <laughs> okay, yeah, right. So you, uh, you've mentioned a specific word together with fear, which is phobias, right? Okay, this is obviously the main topic of the episode. Can you give us a definition of phobias? What are they exactly? There are one category of anxiety disorders, meaning a fear that is very irrational and like you're really suffering from it in your daily life. And what I'm mostly um, like, or my speciality, I would say, is specific phobia. So meaning you're afraid of a specific animal or object or maybe even situation. And um, in, in general, you can say a phobia is, is really like a a very, very high fear, maybe even disgust or uncomfortable feelings that you have when you see a certain object, maybe even hear it. And for me, my um, like main phobia that I specialize on is uh, spider phobia, actually, just like the main main project I'm currently working on. When you mentioned the spider phobia, I really wanted to answer that during my... <laughs> during my actually it's not really spider phobia i'm more I, i'm more uh, phobic about the uh, bees but also spiders are not very comfortable for me so <laughs> it's a very interesting topic for me 
But uh, what I wanted to ask you, so the, how do phobias develop? Is it like because of a traumatic experience? Is it because of uh, like something is uh, a little bit scary and it scares you and that's enough to create a phobia? How does that work? I mean, there are like different ways to develop it. There's different theories in general. I mean, we all know the feeling of fear. So we know this is a very basic emotion that humans feel and it's necessary to survive. Um, so there is this like evolutionary, what a word, evolutionary um, background to developing a phobia or developing a high fear or something because it can protect us from danger or harm. So it's absolutely okay to be afraid of specific things. Um, if it's for spider or for, for bees, uh, for you, I mean, it's possible that they could harm us or they have been harming us in the past or our ancestors mm -hmm. might have to fight very huge spiders. Um, but we don't have to do that um, today. So, so it seems a bit irrational, but still it's okay to be afraid of them. And you mentioned the traumatic experience. I mean, that's one, one way to develop something in general as well. It could be one specific experience that you had in your childhood or, or even later. Phobias usually develop quite early, like so childhood, early, early um, adolescence. But one way, and I think a lot of people don't really realize it, it's very more or less unconscious because you just see it from other people. So you learn and you copy, usually as a child. So maybe your parents, one of your parents was very afraid of spiders or snakes or of heights. And you just copy that. You learn this kind of reaction. Ah, oh, there was this trigger. Ah, oh, okay, fear is how I can react. And I think that are more, more or less like the main theories behind how to develop a phobia. And um, everyone has a different story behind it. If you ask someone, why are you afraid of spiders? Sometimes they have like immediately have a story behind of his, yeah, my mom screamed when I was five. Da, da, da. But sometimes it's just, I don't know. I just have it since ever. Um, so it's not only like pinpoint to one experience. So just to kind of clear my mind here, a phobia is a fear that somehow disrupts your daily life. Right. Yeah, it can it can really disrupt your daily life. I mean, it depends in, in what severity it is there. It, mm -hmm. it could be just this uncomfortable feeling when you see a snake or, or are in a height situation. But it could also be that you react panically, that you really mm -hmm. you have to leave the situation. And it, it's really buggering in your daily life. You um, you have all these impairments, like if it's a fear of animals, Probably you don't go outside as much or you, you cancel the party in the woods, you cancel the camping trip because you're just so afraid that you might experience something or for heights, you don't go mm -hmm. on hikes, you don't go in a high building. So it could really affect your daily life, uh, depending how severe it is. And also like there's a diagnosis of a specific phobia. So like a clinical um, phobia that you can have, which, yeah, it, it's really like a, a a formally diagnosed anxiety disorder but it could also be like subclinical so just a very fear high um but not fulfilling like all the criteria that are out there yeah the, the way you described how a phobia could just develop you know something like uh something happened when you're young or just heard or just saw someone reacting that way just reminds me of uh, a kind of, it's not really a phobia because it, it it's it doesn't create me a, an issue but i remember that i have this concept in my brain of an event is quite unlikely honestly but in my head is way too likely and it's the fear of falling from a horse 
Now, I don't ride horse very often. I and, and when I did, I actually enjoyed it. But I have this just thing in my head that I really, really don't want to fall from a horse. And now that you mentioned this, I think I just figured why. I mean, I, I, I think I had an idea before, but now you, you kind of you kind of prompt the memory, which is that <laughs> when I was a kid, I discovered that the actor that was acting as Superman, Christopher Reeve, he became paralyzed, like severely paralyzed after falling from a horse. And that shocked me because he was he was supposed to be the man of steel. You see what I mean? And as a kid, that shocked me. And I think that stayed in my brain. Like if you fall from the horse, you might just get par- completely paralyzed. I think that that just I, I think it's just fascinating. Yeah, and I, honestly, I think it's an interesting aspect that you mentioned because a lot of the phobias, of course, they're tied to some kind of experience that you had or, or a behavior that you show in your daily life. But it's sometimes it's it's a lot of imagination. It's like this catastrophe going on in your mind. What could happen? And oh my God, I could die experiencing this high of a fear or or like whenever I see a spider, this is the end of my world. So it's it's a lot about like thought processes as well and and like what kind of beliefs you have tied to that specific trigger. So yeah, Superman and your horse story, it perfectly makes sense now. Are there specific brain areas that are responsible for the development or the retention of fears and phobias? Or is it just a generalized thing? Um, you can pinpoint it to a couple of areas, but in, I would say... As always, it's also a generalizable thing, but because it's an emotional thing, mainly fear, it's it's very much triggered and and like led, yeah, it just leads to a D amygdala, the famous amygdala. And the there's famous also like amygdala. the famous <laughs> amygdala. The fa- <laughs> yes. No, I mean just for the for the audience, um, the amygdala is this part of the brain that usually controls the the the, the, the fight or flight uh behaviors. Yeah, exactly. And like all, all kinds of like emotional reactions. So also the, there's like two pathways how like we react to something we see with fear, which could be we see it and it like immediately triggers our amygdala. It's like a very direct pathway because we have this learned reaction of, okay, I see something and I react with fear. But there's also like a more, I would say like more sophisticated way. We see it, it goes to like the, the back of our brains and then it goes like, uh, like taking something out of our memory. It's like, oh, okay, this is a spider. I was once afraid or I should be afraid, but I'm not. So it's more like a, a longer process. And then there's like other areas, of course, involved like a hippocampus or other areas that are needed for like memory retrieval um, or, or conditioning, like fear conditioning is, is something that that's also very um, important in, in, in phobia development. So like yeah, you, you did a behavior a couple of times and you just learned how to react to this stimulus. Yeah, so I'd say that they're more or less like the main brain region that are involved, of course, a lot of other stuff as well, depending on how you react physically. But yeah, it's mostly like memory and emotion. So at the moment, right today, are there any treatments or anyway, like other ways through which professionals can try to help people that have... Um, you know, serious phobias that actually represent uh, a problem for their lives? Fortunately, there are, yes. But some of them are not very comfortable. <laughs> uh, ouch, one, ouch, uh, ouch it's fear, start. right? Oh, <laughs> it's, fair it's, point, it's not, fair point. It's not going to be the board of It's not going to be comfortable, <laughs> no. Um, one, like, very successful and, like, also standard treatment is exposure. So 
really just exposure to whatever triggers this fear. And this is really emotionally exhausting because you have to go through the fear and the whole experience. You can, of course, also like work on whatever thoughts you have, like the beliefs we, we talked about earlier. And um, that is also part of a, uh, like of a training or therapy. So you could, you could go to psychotherapy and talk about how did this feel develop and why and what, I mean, even that clears your mind a little bit. But one of the very effective um, approaches is to just expose yourself to whatever is, is, is making you scared or, or triggers this, this feelings that you have. And, but what you do in exposure therapy, it's not that you, if, if it's spiders or snakes, they don't just throw a spider at you and that's it. It's not a shock therapy. It's really a Thanks step God by that. step. <laughs> yeah, you're welcome. I mean, we're way ahead of the shock therapy, hopefully in psychiatry and psychotherapy. <laughs> so nothing there for the Halloween edition. I'm sorry for that. So no horror stories here. Um, but yeah, what you do, I mean, in the beginning, you have some, some kind of a, um, where are you at in your phobia, in your in your fear of um, wh whatever? Should I like just stay with the spiders because I'm so comfortable with them, right? <laughs> so if it's if it's the spiders, you just have a little bit of a talk in the beginning. Where should we start? And then you start on whatever your level you want to go. It's just looking at the spider in the beginning. And usually, what people experience there is the fear goes like up 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 and they want to leave imagine. the situation it's it's really uncomfortable and it gets emotional as well i mean people start to cry or to laugh because they, they don't know how to handle that fear or that that feeling but what happens naturally if you stay longer in any kind of situation that that's fearful but maybe not dangerous the fear goes down after maybe a couple of minutes and you you have this relief of oh i didn't die <laughs> I'm still here. So you, you can't die of fear, right? And then you can proceed. You can go a bit closer to that, that spider or that snake. And, and again, have this peak, like this anxiety or fear curve, but still realize, okay, there's going to be a plateau and it's not going to increase anymore. And then you can take a step further and further and further. And that's like the whole idea behind exposure therapy, how it looks. And what you do experience is a learning process you learn how to deal with this fear you learn that it's 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 not going to end in your death because usually that's uh, the thing people think it's like i can't handle this my, my, my i don't know like my heart is going to explode or something from that fear so it's really like a, a learning behavior and a, really like a relearning because you once learned how to react to the, those triggers and now you relearn. So it's also like you call that extinction learning as well. So it's not like deleting anything you have in your mind or in your memories, but you're like, like really learning in something new. You learn new information about the animal. You learn new information about your behavior and how to really like handle the fear. You learn new strategies. So um, it's not like, well, as you know, using the gaming slang, it's not overwriting uh, the memory is most like it's mostly like writing a new memory of a of a safety memory, and then that one hope will hopefully will compete with the fear memory. Is it? Did I get it right? Absolutely right. I can't say it more beautifully. Thanks. Yeah, it's safety memory. It's like really like a a, a next another line that's then competing with the old fear memory. This exposure training. So does it work only with uh, with phobias and specific phobias? Because I was thinking about the example of 
um, the need of rewriting in your mind and like an, a traumatic experience. So I was thinking about people that suffer from post-traumatic stress disorder, for example. Would that something like that work? Or is that something used to somehow kind of re rethink about what happened and what causes all these traumatic experiences even after the, um, the actual trauma happened? I mean, a PTSD is quite complex and it's very, very individual. Even a phobia could be very individual, but the trigger is maybe something people share. And with PTSD, it's, yeah, the experience is so individual. So also a therapy has to be like built around that experience. But one part of PTSD therapy could also be exposure, but maybe there is not so much about like reducing fear or like avoidance but more reducing other symptoms related to that traumatic experience or like flashbacks that you have to that um, experience so you can some kind of like distance yourself from it if you relive it and relive it in an exposure training but with PTSD I think there's so much more also involved it's a lot of thought process it's maybe even like physically building up strength again um, or mental strength to just deal with whatever um, traumatic experience you had. Yeah, but it is for sure one element that's that's been used a bit different than for phobias, but one element as well. I'm wondering how, I mean, because I can imagine how you can organize an exposure to small things like, uh, I don't know, being afraid of spiders. Uh, I can imagine you bring someone to a zoo where they have insects i don't know but it's something like if i'm afraid and i am afraid of of heights how would an exposure training work what they would bring me on top of the eiffel tower and just say just look down do you always have the real thing like how does it actually work an exposure training for things that are a bit more difficult to have in an office yeah i mean you mentioned something that is really like one of the limits of exposure therapy of course you need the real situation. And depending on your phobia, it gets really complicated. I mean, the Eiffel Tower, yeah. But any Wait, other yeah. tower... What do you mean? Yeah, you mean that's happened? They, they bring patients yes. to the Eiffel Tower? Of really? course. I mean, we get creative with psychotherapists. Oh my God, that's amazing. <laughs> I mean, I'm not sure how, how expensive it is to organize a, an exposure therapy going to Paris and on the Eiffel Tower. But of course, you got to make use of whatever you have. And especially if it's animals, you mentioned like for spiders going to the zoo, that's one option. You could also like buy some animals and have them in your office. But I mean, already talking about, you see there's some limits. It's really, really effective, but it's so like different to every person. And sometimes also, I mean, a, a therapy session is like what, one hour? And then exposure therapies, maybe, I don't know, like two, three hours. You need a lot of time. So it's more expensive and also like you can't like have any any animals in your office you, and maybe you don't want to have a zoo <laughs> in your I office mean, I as well I, I wouldn't mind that i mean imagine you, the you wouldn't as mind a, okay as a fear buster <laughs> you have like every possible object I have it of all. fear i don't have yes. books and libraries i have all the animals like spiders bats <laughs> go like tombs graves anything you name it it's just you have this Close it with a really, really scary door. And just, what's in there? You really don't want to know. Anyway, sorry, yeah, go on. That's the, the, the fear basement I have in my office. Yeah. but I will I mean... just decide to believe you have one. <laughs> I hope not. Oh, I'm really going for that fear busted, but okay. 
<laughs> yeah, but 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 going back to your Eiffel Tower experience, like not experience example, imagine it, it's it's really not an exposure therapy in general. It's also exposing you. So maybe there are other people around and you're in this very vulnerable situation of like triggering your fear and, and working with it. So it's also often a lot of patients and, and or if it's like in a study in participants, they really put themselves in a very vulnerable situation. And that's on top of everything else, not very comfortable. So, I mean, you asked if there are therapy approaches in general. And of course, and I mentioned it in the beginning, I also have this very fancy part of technology. Aha, so that's yes. where the technology comes in. <laughs> All right, go on. Now I'm intrigued. <laughs> I mean, luckily, we have technology at our hand to simulate situations. And I, I mean, like it could be looking at pictures, looking at movies, but it could also be like really just building a holy, like a, a totally virtual world. So my my field or or where I come from with the technology is like that we use virtual reality, for example, to simulate those situations that you're afraid of. And of course, that means programming, designing and everything from scratch. But of course, you can reuse these situations as often as you want. You don't have to go outside to expose yourself to, to any kind of fearful stimuli. Um, it's, it's really, you have it at your hand. You can like really simulate mostly anything. So every animal, everything you mentioned in the fear basement there. <laughs> VR, virtual reality is being used now today to treat phobias. So like if I go to the psychiatrist, the psychologist saying, I'm afraid of this, they will literally prescribe me a video game. Yeah. I mean, if it's... A, I love if that. It's a... Just saying, I love that. <laughs> it, it could be also very a game-like experience. I mean, people... People want to find the right treatment, right? They want to find the right therapist, but they also want to find the right treatment if it's medication or if it's any kind of behavioral therapy. So if a video game does the trick for you, lucky you. And I mean, you mentioned virtual reality being used today. It's been used for, for quite some time, actually. I mean, the technology itself has been around quite some time. Um, and being used in, in therapy actually was starting with fear of heights and then very, very um, quickly also PTSD for military. They used like virtual reality, like video game styles uh, was in the 90s. In the um, 90s already? That's yeah, amazing. so Im imagine how it looked like then. <laughs> I mean, honestly, it must have been, it must have looked awful. If it looked yes. a little bit like the first attempt of virtual reality of Nintendo, I can imagine post-traumatic stress disorder to be triggered by that kind of virtual reality. <laughs> yes. So you can first trigger it and then treat it. So just like build your own clients. Yeah. But <sighs> I mean, if it's for fear, sometimes people don't mind that lot a lot that it's not that nicely looking because it, it just triggers whatever you feel. But of course, the VR in the 90s was yeah, really bad, I'd say. I mean, compared to now, I mean, then it was like fancy advanced technology. Yeah, exactly. Like at the time must have been like, oh my God, this is like, Absolutely. what is this? Absolutely. And I mean, one aspect that that's really like better, not perfect, but better today, but like back then I can imagine people got so sick in VR 
because there's like this phenomenon, like this side effect of having cyber sickness, which is very similar to motion sickness. So you have this uncomfortable feeling of, I don't know, you're sweating, maybe, maybe even vomiting at one point. I remember uh, you get that dizzy was... And, I remember that but was... was it because well, of like motions or... Not only, I th- if I remember correctly, what was happening with this Nintendo attempt of uh, virtual reality, it was also the fact that the what you would see was just shades of red, shades of orange, which is in, like, and having a stereo image okay. with that shade, it was just awful for your, for your eyes and it would trigger nausea. Uh-huh. It was, it was terrible. It was really terrible. I mean, at least that one. You I don't have know to if... start from somewhere. Let's say exactly that. the journey begins somewhere. Yeah, and it's also the the motion part as well. I mean, if you move your head with this virtual reality goggle on, there's a little delay in in the picture that you see. I mean, when we look around, everything it it's not moving at all. We just see what we see. But with virtual reality, it could be there's this little lack. And, and that just makes you uncomfortable. It's also something that triggers motion sickness if you're in a car and you're just, your body is not moving as the things you see around yourself. And with VR, that could also happen. There, there's like crazy stories also like, I mean, they, I mentioned the military that they used virtual reality quite quickly. Um, they also used it for training purposes, of course, like pilot trainings and stuff uh, using in VR, like flight simulator and stuff like that. So there's been some crazy stories on the on the motion sickness or cyber sickness in VR as well. Yeah. Okay, so just to recap, I'll I'll tell you what I've understood so far, and you you tell me if I got it right or you know if I got anything wrong. So we have phobias, which are basically fear behaviors either learned or triggered by a trauma that lead us to respond in a in a, a disproportioned way to a stimulus compared to the actual risk, right? And Usually the treatment used is exposure treatment where the patient is exposed repeatedly uh, to the fear object in a safe environment so that the patient you gradually gets habituated to the stimulus. And in order to accomplish that, when you can't possibly have the real uh, fear object, since the 90s, apparently, which is unbelievable, people have started using virtual reality to simulate the fear object. Did I get everything right? Did I get anything wrong? No, absolutely right. A plus golden star. Very good student. (laughs) Thank you. Okay. So, so far you gave us a beautiful background of of the topic. Now let's, let's talk about what what you do, right? I guess you were not the one inventing the VR therapy in the nineties. I mean, you you look a bit younger than that, but so what what is it that you're doing? What's happened since the 90s is, is really amazing. I mean, virtual reality developed in, in such a nice way because also the gaming industry hopped on and, and really tried to, to make it more available to people. But what we see now is a little bit of a plateau that we reached both in research, but maybe also in entertainment because there's all these fancy virtual reality things out there. We can do the therapy in it. We can play video games in it. But not every one of us has one of those virtual reality goggles at home. So it's like... So true. There's, there's a little gap. I mean, there's probably some, some fancy technology nerds and gamers who have all the newest technology at home and want to use it or work with it. And honestly, also therapists... Not everyone has a virtual reality goggle and maybe not even the newest. So there's like this little gap. We have this technology, it works, it, it, it simulates the 
treatment approaches that we already wanted to like expand the limits on. And what I now work in is using what we have. And that's actually something mostly every one of us has in their pockets, which is the smartphone. We can oh, already I see where this do, is going. Yeah, you're make, you're yeah. trying to making it accessible. Absolutely. I, I'm trying to make it more accessible, maybe a little bit less data heavy as well, because VR also takes up a lot of juice. <laughs> um, and yeah, there's like this, this really this gap of access in, in, in the technology and in the treatment. I mean, virtual reality had the idea of making the treated more accessible and more reproducible, but still like, again, we, we hit a point where we can see, okay, where, where's this going now? And yeah, so my field is really using our smartphones and we already can use smartphone apps with virtual reality. So like just putting your smartphones in front of one of the newest virtual reality goggles, if any, or just having the app in the goggle. Um, but yeah, as I mentioned, not everyone has that. Um, so there's a, another nice technology out there, uh, very similar to virtual reality, which is augmented reality. So that's my field, actually. Okay, wait. So for people that know nothing about technology, which is me, <laughs> and maybe Again, other... Again, is talking. I'm our chief editor. Just saying. <laughs> yeah, well... <laughs> I'm not very much exposed to uh, gaming and like I would like to, but I suck at it. So I, it's kind of a um, one side relationship. I kind of try, but it doesn't work much. I am not good at it. <laughs> so I understood pretty much what's virtual reality. And now you have introduced the augmented reality as similar. But what are the differences then? In virtual reality, you can simulate like a whole world um, you can program it like a video game or you can also use like 360 degrees like pictures or movies to just simulate and you enter a new, another world like a virtual world if you put on the goggles and with augmented reality you actually mix what we see now with something virtual the the easiest way to describe it is pokemon go so I think we all experienced the kids <laughs> running around with the smartphones on the street, collecting something. Just saying, not only the kids. Speaking I see, I see. Where, I see. Okay. <laughs> People <laughs> running around with the smartphones, collecting something. And that's what it is. So with the smartphone that we have now, through the camera, we, we just see our surroundings and augmented reality means augmenting reality so putting something virtual in there that is then somehow mixed with whatever we see in in our surroundings and coming back to ever what i do with it of course i don't uh, project pokemons somewhere in my therapy but i do project and meat <laughs> yeah i'm sorry i mean if there's a phobia of pokemons why not we can try for that <laughs> yeah but but for me it's like really just using whatever trigger um, or whatever stimuli is triggering the fear and having that in augmented reality. So it's, it's a, a spider, it could be a snake, it could be a bee. And just with our, smart, with our smartphones, that, that's just amazing what we can already do. We just need the smartphone, a fancy game engine <laughs> to build something. But then with the augmented reality, it makes it so much more accessible to everyone because you can just have an app. So you're building an app 
to run a augmented reality version of the exposure training on anyone's smartphone. Okay, yes, cool. exactly. And how how was it? How was developed? What kind of expert? I mean, I can imagine that you needed a programmer and stuff. So, but I'm very curious because you're a psychologist by training. So, uh, what was your your involvement and what what were all the other expertise involved in in, in mm. creating such a such a cool thing? Yeah, so I am the psychologist in this part. I I mean, I I don't have any programming skills, and I. I would love to, but I don't have to. But of course, like building an app that has some kind of a therapeutical approach needs people from many disciplines to work together because it's an idea that needs so many different elements to to just grow on, yeah, to, to become a product. So my part is actually delivering whatever we know from therapy, building up the whole app. I mean, we call it game or gamified um, app because there's some like gamification elements in there like we have levels I mean we talked about how an exposure therapy is built up step by step so you approach whatever's fear uh, triggering the fear step by step and this app that we build is is exactly the same so you start at a very low level and if your fear it's declining a bit or you think, okay, I feel comfortable. You can move on to the next level. My job was to, to write this whole gameplay and just like have the whole idea transferred from therapy to this app. Yeah. And then also actually doing a, a study on it because there are tons of apps out there and a lot of apps also promising some kind of mental health training, treatment or anything. And so many of them are not tested or not even like developed by anyone who is from the field. So for me, it was really important to have one, this really like interdisciplinary team, psychologist, programmer, someone from design as well, because I think apps have to look nice, right? Absolutely, absolutely. (laughs) And one special element that I would love to mention is also implementing someone or like including someone who has this fear, who can really say what is working and what not, what is triggering the fear and what not. And I myself, I found myself in the special situation that I could be the psychologist and I can be the one who is or at least was afraid of spiders because I had a like really terrible spider phobia myself a couple of years back. And I did a lot of exposure, not with a therapist, but on my own. I guess because I didn't want to pay for treatment or... Wait, wait, yeah. wait. Now I'm curious. What, what do you mean you did yourself exposure to spiders? Is it well, okay to ask? Yeah, it's okay to ask. And I mean, it's it's a perfect uh, Halloween question, I would say, because... Exactly! I, I know, yes. That's yeah. Right. <laughs> I collect or I I ask friends to collect spiders so I can approach them in a glass or a box or whatever, or I just went with someone to the cellar or to the garden. I watched tons of spider videos, which really grossed me out a lot. <laughs> I think I am... wrong willpower, I would yeah, say. <laughs> just the fact that you decided to do it yourself. I think I, I started working in a project where we use virtual reality to treat phobias in my master's. And when they said... Ah, oh, it's going to be spider phobia, by the way. I was like, okay, I have to quit. I, I can't do this because I it, emotionally, I can't do the study. I can't be, I can't be a, around spiders or virtual spiders. So I think I just got very 
interest in the field again and very ambitious. Like this is really buggering me. This is really annoying and I have to quit a master project that I'm really interested in. So it, it was actually like affecting my study. So I think if it would have been snakes or anything else, I would have been fine, but it was spiders. So that was for me like one of the first uh, really like a realization of, okay, what can one do about it? And I think that also got me interested and, and yeah, interested and in, in still ambitious to develop stuff like that for other people as well. And having gone through exposure on my own, I also did uh, like uh, group seminars with other people, all exposing um, ourselves to spiders. And it's also very freeing, this whole process. It's very relieving and rewarding once you overcome your fear. So it's, there's also nice aspects to it, of course. Is, it, is this the kind of story where it ends as you, like with you becoming the spider master or something? That you now Maybe you spider control. woman. But that implies you've been bitten. Maybe to make it more romantic, like being kissed by a spider or something. Oh, that's nice. Is that maybe more nice? Okay. Nice. Because they're nice animals too. I mean, I they don't look very nice. And they but... catch mosquitoes a lot. And they catch exactly. mosquitoes, that's right, yes. They do yeah. have their role in our environment. I mean, of course, they, they look nasty. They make funny movements. It, this is also why we're afraid of them or disgusted with them. They move very weirdly. They have eight legs and eight eyes. That's not very appealing to us human beings. That's but true. They do have their role and they're quite fascinating animals, I have to say. Not that I'm always fascinated by them. <laughs> but like now but you are 100% cool with them. Um, I'd say there are a couple of spiders that still gives me a bit of a racing heart whenever I see them, but I can approach them, take them out, whatever. I also had uh, just a couple of weeks ago uh, a live tarantula on my hand. So oh my that God, was an that, oh, wow. absolute milestone. <laughs> okay, so uh, I think we, we drifted a bit because your story, look, your personal story was so, so interesting. <laughs> and I think that's also the beauty of the storytelling in science. Like you just gave us a beautiful insight on your personal motivation for, for, for doing this. Let's go back now to your actual work. So. Can you just give us an idea of how the app works? So I download it and then what happens? What do I see? Like, how does it work if I, if I use it? So in the app itself, there's really only the exposure part. So there's no test. Do you have fear or something? But what we build in is a little test. Do you react with fear to this virtual spider? Because it could be working or not. As I mentioned, like there's always a treatment for every patient or, or, or person. So the app is built like um, you can download it for free and there's like two tests, a gentle one and a scary one. So for the brave ones, do the scary one. For the ones who know, okay, I'm afraid of spiders, do the gentle one. And then you can really see, okay, do I react with fear and disgust? And when you think, okay, this is something for me, I could really do some self-exposure self or maybe take this app to my therapist as well or try it with a friend, which we really recommend if you have a high fear of spiders. You can buy the training within this app that we also tested in a study, which was effective, by the way. Oh, yeah, that's and right. Just having a bit of a sciencey fact there as well. <laughs> that's right, because you mentioned you did test it. Yeah, we really wanted as, to test as, it. As scientists do. Yeah. And yeah. It, so the result was, was good, was successful? 
the results were really, really nice. So we we designed and programmed this whole app and gave it to a test population of, of people with very like fear of spiders. So it was either clinically or subclinically. So they had a diagnosis or they just had a very high fear. And they did their training on their own because that, that was like how we wanted to have this point, intervention I tested. Guess. Yeah, like really day-to-day um, a training on your own without any guidance or assistance, just like really in your own pace as well. So we gave them the app home so they could do a training. And we have this like very classical before and after test. So we did questionnaires, but also like an interview, seeing how severe is their phobia. But we also confronted them with a real spider, like really oh, that's, seeing... That was going to be my next question. Like, okay, yeah. fine. Beautiful with the virtual spider, but how right. about then a real How one? about the real life things? Yeah, so we actually had a couple of spiders in my office. I named them beautifully with a couple of names to build see, up some relations. You, see, you yeah. are the spider master now. See? <laughs> yeah, but we, we just confronted them with a real spider, like a house spider, the, the ones that you really have in your house, so no tarantula. It was in a, like in a plastic box at the other end of the room, and we just let them approach as far as possible and so we did that before and after and was really beautiful to see that the group that really trained with this app showed less fear in in all of the questionnaires and also just like reported less fear in this spider situation and was able to go closer so they were able to go to get closer to the spider than they did before exactly they were able to get closer to it and i mean in this kind of therapy it's not the goal that you have a spider on your hand it's more like how do you feel and how can you handle that fear so we wanted this kind of con- like um, combination of of course we have we see the behavior in in the spider situation but we want to know how they feel in that situation so how high is their fear and how high is their disgust um, in that specific situation and both of it declined which was really really beautiful to see like on all the levels like behavior avoidance behavior but also like feeling subjective feelings and um yeah also their thoughts about spiders in general that also uh, showed to be a lot better after using this app and i mean that's what we would love to have now because we put this app out on the market and I mean, that's also quite delicate <laughs> because everyone could download it and we don't know if they have a very high fear or not. That's why we also had this like a little test in the beginning. If, if you want to really train with, you can buy this training and then we don't take any data or anything. I, just, to, just to make it clear. So you said that the, the test is free. Yes. Uh, so anyone can download the app for free, uh, mm-hmm. test themselves with the gentle or the harsh one. But then yeah. if they want to actually start the training then they'll have to pay did i understand correctly yeah they'll have to pay a couple of bucks i mean we talked about this a lot like should we have a free app in it um of course we all want free nice beautiful apps and for now we thought it's it's also maybe one level of professionality to have it like it's a tested training really supposed to help people overcome the fear and it shouldn't be just like a prank game app or something but i mean even those two tests um, levels in the beginning could already do something and then you realize okay I just repeat these tests test levels as long as I want to and maybe at one to- at one point you also want to do the whole training because it really it leads you through the whole training very nicely with a little 
uh, like there's rewards in it. You can always like rate your fear and disgust and then decide on your own. Okay, I feel comfortable moving on. Um, so it's really a whole package. Um, so you were also saying that now you are almost close to the end of the PhD. So um, you have uh, this nice app and uh, almost to the closure of the PhD. What are the future, direct, future directions now? Do you think that uh, something like that could be possible to uh, be done also, uh, I don't know, with these, for example, <laughs> or, or any other things? Or, or do you have any other interests where, like, where do you want to go from now? I mean, the beauty of this app and also the augmented reality technology is that it could really be transferred to any kind of other maybe smaller animal or object. I mean, if it's a large animal like a dog or a horse, it could get a little bit dif uh, difficult for the augmented reality. But in general, this whole procedure could be transferred to, to any other phobia because the exposure procedure is mostly the same. It's this step-by-step. -step. So we could go for snakes, bees. I'll notify you then <laughs> if it's for bees. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I mean, also objects and there it could also expand a bit on specific phobias. It could also be for more like um, OCD related stuff. So objective compulsive disorder. So yeah, I don't want to dive into it uh, a lot, but it's like repetitive behavior, counting stuff and like really being um, um, triggered by specific objects. So you could do a little bit of an exposure part there or also for addiction. Um, if you want to like work on, on craving to a specific like substance or, or alcohol or drug. So the options are out there. Thank you so much. Uh, wow. I think this brings us almost to the end of the episode, but there's still one thing to do. So Anya, I don't know if you listened to any of our previous episodes, but we have a thing at the end of each episode which is a fun fact, absolutely unrelated to the main topic of the episode, or maybe related. I don't know, because I have no idea what the fun fact is about. Because this was Cecilia's job. Cecilia, yes. what have you got for us today? Well, actually, somehow you called it at the beginning. It has to do with ghosts and haunted house. I mean, it's a Halloween special. so Fair enough. Fair enough. Why I'm not intrigued. discussing about it? So I will, I will tell you the, the story of a haunted house. And then we'll come also to the science part. Ah, okay, because I was saying, this is supposed to be a, fa a science fun fact. Where are we going here? I mean, yeah, that, that's, a, that's that was surprising for me as well. You know, when, when you think about haunted house and then science, somehow they don't stick well together unless you're in the ghostbuster movie but other than that usually no <laughs> the two enough. things don't go well together that's true <laughs> so and it's also quite a old old uh, case report so it's a case report and uh back in the 1912 there was this uh, mrs h that moved to a new house with her husband and the children this house was very large, very tall, and uh, uh, was built in the 1870, and it needed some repairs because it was very, very old. Was it built on, a, on an old cemetery? Because that's usually the case. No. Okay, no spoilers. Okay, no. okay. It's not. 
it was just very, very old. And it had not been occupied by the owners um, in, in 10 years. So I guess it would have been a little bit spooky somehow. <laughs> very dusty, I would say. Yes. And there was no electricity. So there was just the gas lightning. The second day that they were there, the furnace actually broke down. So um, they could only use a part of it to actually heat up the house. And when they moved to this house, they were all very healthy and happy and uh, never seen a ghost in their life. Uh, the usual assume... beginning of a horror movie. At the exactly. beginning, everyone's happy. Everyone's great. Okay, go, go on. But as soon as they started living there, they started seeing like strange occurrences and also strange feelings. So basically, they were uh, hearing footsteps and keep in mind that uh, this house was fully carpeted. So there, there, there was no there shouldn't be much noise. So it was very, very silent. And it was also the uh, 1912. So they had servants that helped out with the house. And these uh, experiences weren't only of the people living there, but also the people working there. Um, they were uh, hearing people, they were felt like they felt watched uh, one night, the husband felt like he was suffocated while uh, he was strangulated, actually, while sleeping. He woke up thinking that the uh, wife might have been like, you know, being jo joking around, I guess. But she was. Wait, wait, uh, this, sounds like the, this sounds like the plot of The Hunting of Hill House. Uh, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's a haunted horse, a house. So, well, is it? Oh. <laughs> mm. So basically, um, in, in this case report, uh, the, the story is told from the point of view of Mrs. H. So Mrs. H is actually describing what was happening to them. Somehow, I think she was very, you know, she wasn't very uh, superstitious. So she was trying to find reason for that. Um, she started realizing that they were all feeling sick. So they were uh, kind of depressed, kind of, uh, the, the children were very pale, didn't want to play as much as they did before. And uh, so she started asking the servants, like, do, do you see things as well? Because once she also saw uh, a lady coming forward to her, and then she, when she was trying to uh, go to her, she ended up being just in front of a, of a mirror and she saw just herself and no one else. Um, so she started asking around, you know, because if it was just them, maybe they had all gone mad. <laughs> but also the servant were feeling this and the servant were really thinking, oh, my God, this house is haunted. Like there, there's no other way. So the, the, this woman started actually going also back, asking other people that previously lived in this house. And they all had these kind of uh, experiences. So one day, finally, she was discussing this with um, husband's brother. And the husband's brother came up with a possible uh, explanation that somehow they were all poisoned. The brother of the husband suggested to go to a professor that, was, uh, that could help them find the reason for it. And after going through the whole apart, like the whole uh, house, finally, they ended up checking the furnace. And, and uh, basically what was happening is that uh, because of the uh, burning, fumes of uh, carbon monoxide were being released throughout the whole house and they were indeed poisoned. And why is it a case report? 
because actually this was explained further, like it was proved further by the fact that the mom took the youngest child to an ophthalmologist. And because the, the, the child was having the vision problems. And what they indeed found was that basically the vision fields were very much restricted. And uh, this, um, this doctor was saying that this kind of problematics can happen because of carbon monoxide uh, poisoning. So there was an actual scientific explanation for this whole haunted house happening, which is also very nice to me in a way, because this uh, Mrs. H somehow felt like she was actually doing the research, you know, like actually breaking down what was happening and trying to find, uh, you know, it sounds weird. There must be a logic explanation she ended up finding it that that was the best story horror story ever because it gives you the satisfaction of a scientific explanation i bloody love that so one thing that i would say and suggest if you feel like your house is haunted just please check that the, there are no <laughs> fumes ongoing anywhere just for your safety Anya, were you scared as I was? I had I had a bit of goosebumps on my elbow. I had a bit of goosebumps. I have to say, I and this is really fitting for day, today, I love horror movies. And I think now I will never look at those horror movies the same way. I will always check, oh, is there's a bit of mold somewhere in the house? So oh, yeah, I'm but, sorry, but I love I, I no, I <laughs> honestly I, I love that there's like a scientific story to it all and also like a very I guess like an empowering story for that woman, right? To do all the research, True. to find out that stuff. So yeah, good, good, I mean, good story time. Well, thank you so much, Julia. That was that was just the perfect fun fact for today's episode. That was that was amazing. I'm glad you enjoyed it. <laughs> and of course, thank you, Anya for you know providing us also the perfect interview for for this episode apart from just a very very fascinating interview thank you so much you're so welcome it was fun and well this brings us to the end of the episode so thank you to everyone listening here you know feel free to go trick-or-treating now but just only after liking and sharing and following our podcast everywhere because this would help us a lot to grow so please remember to do that other than that Thank you, Cecilia. Thank you, Anya. Thank you, everyone. I'm Giuliano. This was the Science Basement Podcast. I'll see you in the next episode. Bye. 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 The Science Basement. If you like this episode, give it a thumbs up, rate us on the podcasting app of your choice, and don't forget to share it with your friends. This podcast was produced by the Science Basement, a science communication organization based in Helsinki, Finland. If you're interested in getting involved or being interviewed, get in touch at podcast at the science basement.org.